hope so. So Are you uh, gonna, is somebody is somebody gonna share the? Well, they had asked me not to we uh, open our share it because they said that they wanted to. Um, right. So, um, okay, so we are learning the uh, introduction of the Ralbag to the to the Torah. It's a. Uh, I think you're going to find it very very interesting because um, basically he lays out a uh, an approach to learning, which in a way is a is a great. Um, intro to, first of all, to learning to learning Chumash, which is what the intention was, but even in terms of learning subsequent things by the Rambam, he introduces you to, he gives you a framework more explicit than uh, most of the Rishonim provide you in terms of understanding how learning fits into a broader perspective uh, and uh, what the different component parts of learning are, and what the methodology of understanding the relationship between Tuasha Bichtav and Tuasha Balpeh should be. So this is something that he does uh, uniquely well, I think. He he really lays things out. There's probably more depth than we can even access in what he says. Um, the one caveat that I'll say is that uh, his language is very unusual. He has a very, uh, a very unusual Hebrew. So if you've ever tried to learn the Ralbag, I'm sure some of you have tried to learn the Ralbag on, on Tanakh or on Chumash. Um, and it's very, very worthwhile, extremely worthwhile, except that it's difficult to get used to his lexicon of terms. He has a little bit of an unusual, uh, very distinctive uh, use of Hebrew. But you do get used to it when you learn him more. And there are people that have written up uh, lists of like the terminology of the Ralbag, you can debate whether they're accurate in their portrayal of what he means about certain terms. I'm not sure if they are, but, uh, but you could see that the fact that you need something like that tells you that there's, uh, that there's a challenge in understanding his language. But in any case, so it says, Amar Levi ben Gershom, so says Levi ben Gershom, Yid barach v'yit aleh hatzur. Did he live? Yeah. When did he live? Hamamtzi betvunato uvchokhmato vedato animtzaot bechlalam. So even though it sounds like this is a uh, d- just a, a tefillah that he puts in the beginning of his commentary, and a lot of uh, a lot of commentaries, a lot of svarim start out with a kind of a tefillah, but it actually integrates with his with his ideas. It's not really just a uh, a formality that he writes this uh, intro. So he says, "Blessed and and exalted is the tzur." We know that the tzur is a term that ha- is very philosophically laden because remember the Ralbag is is steeped in the Moran Vuchim. So, uh, so his ideas are very often, he's like the Me'iri in the sense that his ideas are either amplifying and developing or responding to the Rambam's ideas in almost every subject. So uh, uh, he comes from a little bit of a different angle than the Rambam, but he, and on some fundamental points, they have disagreements, but uh, he's speaking from a, uh, he presupposes that you are familiar with the Rambam's ideas. Let's put it that way. So the Tzur is one of the terms in the Moran Nebuchim that the Rambam talks about is a reference to Hashem. And, uh, and he says, and we know that in, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu speaks, he says, Hatzur, tamim paolo mishpat. That's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking. Hatzur is a, the rock. Hashem is called the rock. What does it mean, the rock? So the Rambam, it, it doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean the... Uh, the wrestling guy or the actor. Um, I, f- I forgot what his name is. Um, Wayne Johnson. Right. It doesn't mean that rock. Um, but it, it means the, uh, it means either, it, what is a rock? A rock is something immobile and a rock is something that other things use as an anchor. So, uh, and the Rambam says in the Moran of Uchim that it means atchala, the beginning of something. Like it says, look at the rock from which you were hewn in the Navi when it talks about the Avot, you know, so uh, the rock that you were cut from. So the idea of the Tzur is that he's the beginning and the foundation of existence. That bit hamamtsi, mamtsi is he creates bitvunato, uvchokhmato, vidato, animsot bechalam. He created the entire, all of existence. Okay, this should kind of remind you a little bit of what the Rambam talks about in the beginning of Sefer Hamada, when he talks about Yisod HaYisodot Vamuda Chuchmot, right? It's to know that um, there's a Matsui Rishon, Vuhu Imtzi Kol Nimtza, right? That, he, that Hashem is the first existence and he created all other existences. This is definitely in conversation with those ideas. But he uses these words, Tvuna 
chokhmah and dat. Now we know those ideas, those we are, uh, one does not need to be a chabadnik to know chokhmah binavadat, right? Uh, is uh, our ideas that have to do with intellectual comprehension and chokhmah uh, binavadat, even Rashi says in, uh, in Sefer Dvarim, what is chokhmah versus binai brings a beautiful mashal. The chokhmah, you're making me hungry, guys. The chokhmah is, um, is uh, wisdom that a person can learn from somebody else, right? It's, orga it's an organized understanding of a subject. Bina is something that you discover on your own. You discover independently. Uh, and then he gives the example of somebody who has material and can, when they have material, they can work with them. Uh, that's called chacham. Uh, but somebody who's able, when he doesn't have material, to create his own material, that's called the uh, navon. Um, but really what it means is that chokhmah is something that is you can that you see, you observe in the subject what you're able to understand from the material that's presented and, and comprehend. Bina is what you're able to derive beyond what's given. That's what it means. In other words, bina is, is the, the ideas that are beyond what is, uh, what is presented to you. So let's say, for instance, a person, I'll give you a very uh, pedestrian, simpl simplistic example. Let's say a person does a school experiment and they measure how long it takes if they let go of an apple from different uh, distances from the ground, they measure how many seconds it takes for it to hit the ground. They're measuring like the force of gravity, right? So uh, a person can do that and come up with a formula and determine the amount of time relative to the amount of um, uh, to the to, to the amount of distance and so on, or the mass of the object or whatever it is, and that's called chokhmah. They come up with a formula. They come up with a principle that uh, describes and captures what they understand. That's called chokhmah. Tvuna would be going beyond that to say what's the cause of this relationship between mass and uh, distance and uh, and the the speed of the falling and so on. That's tvuna because that's going beyond just. Uh, a conceptual uh, definition and clar clarification of what's in front of you to what are the underlying principles. So you see that he proceeds from the highest to the more simple type because he says, he says Tvuna first. Tvuna are the highest ideas that if you grasp them, you know everything that emerges from them. Because if you know the underlying causes of gravity, then you can derive from that how gravity will look in many different cases. Chokhmah is within the subject matter itself, like we described, if you, uh, if you know, let's say, all of the halachot of Kriyat Shema, and you, can, we, you know all of the rules of Kriyat Shema, and you, you, are, you have it organized in your mind, and you're therefore able to answer any questions about Kriyat Shema, that's called Chokhmah. If you have an understanding of why Kriyat Shema is exactly the way it is, and uh, what it's what, how it relates to uh, the Torah system in general, and how it emerges from principles beyond itself, that's called Tvuna. So Tvuna is, uh, is the highest level, Chuchmah is the second level, Dato is, just means knowledge or awareness. You, it could mean the most particular, the interesting thing about the word Dat is it could either be the most basic awareness, or it could be the highest level of awareness, because you see that Sefer HaMada, for example, or Ladat Et Hashem, to know God is the highest, uh, is the highest level, but De'a is also the most basic level of consciousness that you build everything else on. So, and it's interesting, you see that the way that we have our tefillah is Chokhmah Binavadat, which of course is influenced by the Mikubalim, whatever. But um, the, uh, the Ashkenazim have De'ah Binav Haskil, which actually is really the old Sephardic text as well, just that we ended up with the, uh, we ended up influenced mo more by the uh, Kabbalah in our, if you look at uh, Spanish Sephardic Sidurim, such as um, if you look at uh, the Moroccan Sidurim, if you look at our favorite Sidur ever, best Sidur. Um, uh, uh, the uh, Benetzion. If you look at any Sidur that preserves the older traditions, you will see that it has the Abin Avaskel also. Um, but, uh, the, you know, but in any case, the, uh, that, that's going from De'a and to, uh, that's the basic knowledge to the, to the, to the Tvuna and to Haskel as the most abstract level of knowledge, because muskal is the most advanced. And what one day, one day, hopefully, we'll have the zechut 
to learn the Ramchal's logic and learn about all these terms of muskal and uh, all of that. Uh, one day, hopefully, we'll do that. In the meantime, he's using the term here, starting with the highest, vidato. Um, dato, I think he's using to mean the most particular type of that, meaning the, the one that relates to individual items and things and like our sense perception, or like when in the Pirkei Avot, it says, in dat, in, uh, you know, in bina, uh, in bina, in dat. So there's a discussion there, which type of that it's talking about. Is it talking about the higher type of that, or it's talking about the basic awareness that? So that's interesting. You can look at the Mepharshim on Pirkei Avot for that. But in any case, um, that in the creation and the existence, now notice he's not starting with the Torah, he's starting with existence as a whole, you know, which is unusual and you know, very Maimonidean. Um, that within the existence is great Chuchmah and Chanina. Chanina is not something we normally associate with the Chuchmah and the Tvonah. Chanina is grace and kindness and Chesed, right? that no one other than him, no one other than Hashem can grasp the full extent of the wisdom and the chanina that is in the creation. Only God could know it. Okay, so what does that have to do anything with understanding the uh, chumash? Okay, we don't know yet, right? So first of all, he says, know that the universe is filled with infinite chumah way beyond what you're ever going to be able to understand. And the chokhmah is not just an, uh, it's not just ideas that you'll never fully be able to understand as science has basically shown us whenever they push back and they discover more, they also discover what they don't know. Uh, what they don't know even becomes uh, uh, more mysterious. So, but also the chanina, the extent to which the universe has chanina, has grace, which means that Hashem has ordered it for the benefit of existence, for the benefit and the, the actualization of the potential of existence, because chonen, right? Chonen means to give a gift, to, uh, to enable uh, somebody to uh, fulfill their potential. So there's not just chokhmah to be understood, but there's also chanina to be appreciated, which means the chesed of the, uh, of the creation. So that's what he says first. And then he says, yishtabacha yotzeo. Praised is the Yotzer. So that's different than the Tzur, right? Because the, the Tzur is just the foundation of existence. It sounds more impersonal that God, you know, God is the foundation of the uh, existence. But Yishtabach Yotzer, the one who formed us, the creator. Asher that because of his desire to do good for the creations, the existences, and he wants to bring in the inferior creation to a state of perfection, to the most perfect, perfected state. He extended his providence over the lowly creation. He means the people who live on, he means the beings that live on earth, right? Those are the lowly creations. Those of us who live on a small dust speck known as earth. He lifted their existence level after level until he reached the level of Adam. That almost sounds like he believes in evolution, but uh, he's a little bit early for uh, a little bit early for that kind of idea. But definitely that there's an order to the creation that proceeds from uh, inanimate to vegetable to animal to human. That's something that the uh, that everybody knew. How exactly that process took place, you can uh, you know is uh, is discussed in evolutionary biology, or if you don't believe in that, then in some other model of uh, biology, but the, uh, but that's not that important. The main thing is that existence definitely progressed from a lower to higher stage, culminating in the existence of Adam. So you notice that if he starts the, um, and I think this is really important, he starts the discussion with a, he almost starts twice, because first he says, praised is the tzur, the rock, meaning the one who is the foundation of existence, who brought existence with wisdom and understanding and grace uh, into being, and, uh, and that only he alone can know it completely. Okay, that sounds like it's mainly talking about God, not really about us, right? Then it says, no, from his desire to benefit us, he's the Yotzer also. Yotzer is related to us. He's our creator. He's not just the Tzur, who's kind of like a, uh, a, uh, um, a mysterious foundation of existence, but he is the one who created and shaped and formed us. Yotzer is to form. That he brought existence from level to level until Adam emerged. 
So he's taking an active role in developing the creation. How this has to do with the Perush and the Chumash still is a mystery to us, right? He loves that phrase, by the way, right? And this, that he was, he, he extended his providence in such a wondrous manner. Notice what he considers providence. Again, this is right out of the Rambamic uh, framework that look at the amazing way that Hashem was mashgiach on Adam, that he, was, he, he extended providence to Adam. He gave him limbs that are in a good shape and uh, all kinds of capabilities that Adam has and all of the tools that he has to take care of his own existence meaning the fact that he gave you a brain in your head, pretty much whatever the, the characters in The Wizard of Oz were missing, you have, you know, you have the, um, a brain, uh, a heart, and, uh, you know, the ability to uh, some, some, some courage, you know, like unlike the cowardly lion, you are able to, uh, you're able to function. Sorry, my kids were watching that the other day, so uh, it's in the back of my mind. The, um, the, so you have the ability to uh, mobilize yourself to take care of yourself. That's the primary providence. That, that's definitely the providence that all animals have, basically. In other words, he's describing the providence of Adam, but really it's the providence of all animals. He did not refrain from extending providence in the area of guiding us, basically guiding men to the true perfection, which is the fruit of every person, meaning the ultimate actualization of human nature. So for this, you have to understand a little bit of philosophy because the Ralbag definitely presupposes a philosophical education. What he's saying with Tzurot is the, um, he says, because of Adam, that's the reason why we find in this lowly matter any forms. What does he mean in this lowly matter any forms? He means the fact that the world is intelligible and comprehensible is so that, a, so that man, so that human beings can actualize their potential for knowledge. Okay? He's saying that, the, that there's no reason for this world that we live in to be organized in a comprehensible an intelligible way, if not to facilitate human beings' pursuit of understanding. So he's saying, because of Adam, right? We find in lowly matter, the tzorot means forms and principles and uh, intelligible ideas that we can say, like, like um, uh, I think it was Einstein that said, you know, what's incomprehensible about the universe is that it's comprehensible, right? So the, the idea that it's, that, that it's intelligible to us is a wonder. And that's what the, uh, he's saying that, that you should, that therefore Hashem took an interest. In other words, you could see from the very fact that Hashem organized the universe in a way that's intelligible to us, that he wants us to understand and comprehend it. And if he wants us to understand and comprehend it, he's going to give us the guidance towards actualizing that potential of understanding and comprehending. Right, so so it's not enough that like other animals, let's say we have the tools to survive physically. We have the the mental and physical and emotional ability to survive in the world and to thrive. That's good. We need that, but there's much more for an Adam. Okay, so you see how he went from talking about a sort of abstract idea of God being the basis of creation with infinite knowledge to being God. Uh, guiding cre creation towards its ultimate point of actualization. And then he goes to Adam being led to his ultimate actualization, which is higher than other animals on earth. Um, so finally we get to something about the Torah, you know, that that's why he gave the Torah to Adam, not Adam Harishon, meaning to human beings. That's why he gave the Torah Asheri nimus, which is a system. Yagia mitnagimbo bishlemut elatzlacha amitit. That one who completely follows this system will reach true success. What does true success mean? It doesn't mean the car you drive or the house you live in or anything like that. True success is the actualization of the divine potential to have knowledge of God. 
That's what it's going to lead you to. So now we can understand how he's, what he did was, the Ralbag did was he tried to show you a very broad picture of existence and then of our world and the creation in this world that you see there's where there's a development and an evolution from lower to higher that's facilitated by the divine plan. And then there's human beings which who need more than just the biological tools to survive or the material tools to survive because that would not be their ultimate, um, that would not be their ultimate success. That wouldn't be their ultimate fulfillment because their ultimate fulfillment, as we can see from the fact that God made his wisdom intelligible to us is going to be in the grasping of the truths about Hashem that are there. So we need a system that is going to guide us towards that goal. And that's what the Torah is. The Torah is an extension then. See, what he's trying to show you is there's hashkacha all around you. There's hashkacha in the grand universe. There's hashkacha in the world for all animals and uh, all creatures of God on earth. And then there's a hashkacha that relates specifically to B'nai Adam so that they can actualize the potential that is unique to them. The difference is that since, and if you think about it this way, he doesn't say this, I'm, I'm saying this, that difference is that, uh, not that he would disagree with this, I'm just, I'm commenting on it, that he, that because human beings operate with conscious choice and awareness, so therefore they have to choose, they have to learn and study and choose the derech ha'chaim that they're going to follow if they're going to actualize their potential. Whereas a lion doesn't think too much about, you know, whether he's going to attack his prey. When he's hungry, he does it, you know? It's like, uh, actually, it's it's a female lion, lionesses that chase the prey. But in all of the, uh, in, in all of, of nature, so the animals don't reflect upon what the possible, uh, uh, what the possible possibilities of life are. They are driven by instinct that is embedded in them. We are not like that. So we have to, uh, in order to guide us towards a higher lifestyle, we, Hashem doesn't make us into robots, but we have to be conscious of a system of, of uh, way of life that's going to guide us towards this ultimate goal. And that's why it's different. That's why, uh, that's why you know, you see that the Torah was given on Shabbat, according to the Chazal, Torah was given on Shabbat, because it, it wouldn't be given during the six days of creation because the six days of creation are passive and the six days of creation is the, the physical existence coming into order. But for human beings, it's through reflection and knowledge that we come into order. And that's what happens on Shabbat. When we reflect on God's creation and our place in it, that's when we advance. So that's why the Torah was given not during the week, it was given on Shabbat. So in any case, um, Okay. He loves the word ne'elam. The, the Ralbag uses like every possible form of the word ne'elam, ye'alem, and uh, so on. It should not be hidden from us. Okay, so very interesting. He says, once you have this principle that he just laid down for you, in other words, you think about the infinity of the Torah as something, because it comes from God, it's infinite, so uh, therefore it's an infinite knowledge. He says, no, it's not just that. He says, just like the universe is and, and the hashkachav Hashem that's manifest and the chokhmah Hashem that's manifest in the universe is infinite and only God knows the true extent of the wisdom and the benefits that he that he that he uh, embedded in the universe. The same is true about the Torah because it's also an extension of that same thing. In other words, just like Hashem's ordering of creation of the non-human creation was done with chokhmah and Hanina to bring it to its fullest uh, actualization, the Torah, which is one of the tools that God uses to bring his creation in line with his wisdom, just the human part of his creation, is also going to be infinite because, it's a comp because it fits in with that system of the broad creation. It's not something totally separate from the creation. It's actually something that works in tandem with the creation. And so just like, any, just like the universe as a whole and the creation as a whole, you're not going to be able to fathom it in its totality, you're not going to be able to fathom the Torah in its totality because it's in, it's integrated with that same system. 
that brings potential to actualization all around us all the time. So just like you would never be able to understand biology or physics or chemistry or astrophysics or whatever to its fullest extent, because it's going to be beyond our ability, it's going to be impossible to understand the Torah because it is another, it's just the application of Hashem's chuchmah to our uh, circumstance. So just like in, in terms of understanding the universe, we're always in a process of growth and understanding what we can from what is around us. We're always going to be in a process of growth, understanding what the Torah is teaching us. It's never going to be complete. It's going to be an infinite process as well by its nature. And then he says that, uh, that anybody who studies the universe knows this. Kind of goes on a little bit of a tangent. He says, anybody, how do you, anybody who understands the relationship between our knowledge and knowledge of the actual sidura muskal, the actual order, intelligible order from which everything emerges, would know that it's impossible for us to have a full knowledge of God's wisdom as it is manifest in the creation. This was a debate. Among the philosophers, the Ralbag and the Rambam too, took the position that it's impossible for us to fully grasp the uh, to fully grasp the the knowledge that's in creation, and that's what he's referring to. He's saying that a person who knows how uh, there is a in an, there is a uh, a pure knowledge from which everything emerges, and we can never reach that pure knowledge. That's be will always be blocked. Will always be limited. So he says that same thing is true in the Torah. You're always going to be limited in your, in, in your understanding. It's always going to be a process. <clears throat> and then he says, okay. I already explained this a lot. This is a whole big philosophical issue we don't need to get into, but basically whether the mind of the human being can reach a level that is purely metaphysical and be able to grasp these ultimate, you know, be the ultimate reality uh, without any limit, which he comes down on the side that no. It makes sense that this Torah will be like this since it's ordered by God, it's organized by God just like everybody knows today, which is the truth. He says, in other words, because it's a divine Torah, of course, it's going to be an expression of divine wisdom. And just like we see in the creation as, as a whole, that any that the creation as in its totality cannot be grasped by us. There's always going to be a frontier that's beyond our understanding. There's always going to be a frontier of the Torah that's beyond our understanding because it's just another framework, another manifestation of God's infinite wisdom, but just God's infinite wisdom as it applies to human beings but it's still infinite ultimately. And we are still being guided towards a greater and greater understanding a process and a journey that doesn't come to a full end. It's always gonna, it's gonna be endless. So, that, so that's how he sets things up, okay? Now, but I think the unique, the unique aspect of the Ralbag, what makes him unique is that he doesn't just go right into uh, human nature and uh, the human concern or, or idol worship versus belief in God or, uh, or anything like that, but he starts from the perspective of the creation as a whole and, the, and seeing human existence as one part of the creation that requires development and, and uh, tikkun, basically, <clears throat> and improvement and actualization, and that the Torah is just like uh, the immune system, let's say, allows your body to uh, adapt to and recover from uh, pathogens that come in, or just like your digestive system allows you to take nutrients from food and uh, grow and, uh, and, and, you know, for your body to run. So too, there's a system that enables your mind and your soul to develop an understanding of God, which is just as much a part of human nature as, uh, as the biological part. And this is called uh, the Torah. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. So it's, it's part of God's hashkacha over creation. And we just happen to be one part of it. So we can't separate it from God's position as Hayotzer. That's what he says. God is the creator and part of his creation is, is bringing this about. So now he tells you what are the three components of the Torah. And that's probably what we're going to get up to. But I think the next time we can go into the details. So 
So he also likes to show things of necessity, meaning once you say that the purpose of the Torah is to bring human beings to full actualization of their potential as human beings, it's going to be divided into three components. Okay? The first part, and this is the part that most people think is the only thing that's important in the Torah. These are the mitzvot that include whatever we're commanded to believe and do. And the things we're not allowed to believe and do. According to what has been made popular, Regarding their number, because we're going to see that he doesn't exactly 100% believe what that whole believe that whole uh, Taryag Mitzvot thing. He's more on the Ramban side, actually, of that uh, debate that the Taryag Mitzvot is a is a mashal. It's not literal. He, that's one of the areas where he disagrees with the Rambam a little bit. But uh, be that as it may, he, he his main point is um, like notice above. He said, uh, as is popularly known that the Torah is divine, which is true. Im but here he doesn't say which is true. He just says that it's known to be tayag mitzvot, you know. So, but the point is that um, the mitzvot are the first part. In other words, guiding our actions and our thoughts <clears throat> towards a certain uh, direction. That's the first component. The second component, this is the general category of what would call political wisdom, okay? Now, political in philosophical terms doesn't necessarily mean on a glo- on a societal scale or a uh, communal communal scale. You're also political, meaning guiding your behavior and your character is also political because you're a part of the community. Uh, These are areas where we can't talk about a mitzvah or a, a mitzvah aser or a mitzvah lotase that technically. Because it's because perfection in these areas is too far away. That the perfection that this area of Torah is directing you to in midot and characters too far away for most people. In other words, you can have an area where the regimen is very clear, the mitzvot are very clear and distinct, and there's halacha, you follow it, so on. But in, in Midot, it's not going to be like that. For example, He says, if, if the Torah had told you that you can never get angry except at the right things, in the right amount at the right time. And you can never be happy except a certain amount at the right time under the right you know, circumstance. Or you can never mitgabir, uh, you can never like uh, fight somebody or, uh, uh, or, or try to overcome somebody except exactly to the right measure and the right circumstance and so on. Um, or it doesn't mean to fight another person, but me necessarily, but yeah, I mean, he is talking about conflict, fine. People would always be in a state of sin. In other words, the Torah doesn't legislate precision in the area of deot, like the Rambam would call deot. Now, this is an interesting thing. The Rambam's language and the Rambam's language are very different in this. The Rambam uses the term deot, like hilchot deot, to refer to character. The Ralbag uses the word deot to refer to ideas and the word midot to refer to character, the more traditional term midot. So just to let you know that. But he says, anything like this that most people can't comply with 100%, it doesn't make sense to have laws about it. It's interesting why he says that is. It's because then people won't take the other mitzvot seriously. They'll say, well, I'm already sinning in all these other areas, so what's the point, right? So, so therefore the Torah shows you, teaches you about this area. It teaches you stories about the people from the past and their minhagim to direct us to follow their footsteps and to adapt their 
adopt their uh, way of being. It also teaches you bad things, like let's say Lot or Sodom or whatever, right? And what bad thing came from it? So we run away from those things. So the idea is, what is the basically, what, what is Rabbag basically saying? I mean, what does it mean that, uh, how can you have something? I mean, either it's not allowed or allowed. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit strange to say that uh, there are areas where really the Torah should have told you that you should only uh, be angry under certain circumstance and you should only be happy in a certain circumstance, a certain amount, and you should only be, you know, be courageous uh, in, in, in a certain measure. But the Torah doesn't want you to, doesn't want to tell you that because uh, most people can't live up to that standard. And then you're going to, you're not going to, uh, you know, yeah, like uh, Emil said, like Naval basically, it's like the Ramban and Prashat Kiddoshim, that, you know, it, it, the Torah gives you a, a derech to follow and it doesn't want to give you mitzvah vasara, but I'm just asking a, a even like, why doesn't the Torah do it? I mean, according to the Ramban, basically, the Torah is telling you that you have to strive for that, but even the Ramban agrees that you're not expect you're not going to get there right away, right? It's a process. So the question is, why does it have to be a process? Why can't you just say, Look, you're you're a sinner. You're doing the wrong thing. I mean, but why why does it all of a sudden? What popular uh, popular uh, opinion or popular the fact that most people cannot uh, cannot reach this level of adherence to what's right? Therefore, we should lower the standard. I mean, that sounds like uh, what they're doing in the schools, where they say, well, since everyone's flunking, we should uh, we should lower the standards of the tests and uh, and and uh, get rid of the regents or something, because you know nobody can pass it. I mean, it's like. Uh, what kind of a, or, you know, where they were, you know, when they, the, when women wanted to get into the Marines, you know, and they were like, look, no woman has ever been able to make it to the Marines. There was like two women that almost made it. They were really, really close to making it and they didn't make it. So like, I don't think you really, I don't think you really want them to uh, lower the standard on that. That would be bad. So why does the Torah not just say, look, you're, you're not doing right. You're, uh, you know that you're not doing right until you get up to the level that you're that you're living uh, properly. Why, why does it? Why is it? Uh, why is it so self-evident? He's like, oh, obviously there won't be any mitzvah azara here. What's the answer? Yeah, go ahead. I saw somebody unmuted himself. Go ahead. Maybe because it's it's tough to quantify midot like like you can more technical midot. Uh, always in flux. Always dynamic. People change, personalities change. So you're saying it's too dependent, like halacha is more cut and dry, but it's more, this is too dependent on- Yotzev or not Yotzev, but you can't be, uh, but, but this is, it's not, it's not as quantifiable. It's not, yeah, you're saying it's not easy to, to, to quantify it because it's, the circumstances are too, com- too dip- complicated, you mean? Every circumstance is different. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. Yeah. So that that's true, but I mean, even in halacha, you could have many, many different cases. I mean, sometimes you have a hundred cases of different uh, situations. I agree that you have to look at every situation individually, but why is that really? There's a deeper reason. I think you're right, but I think it's a deeper reason than that. And the Rambam is really the one who, who, who if you know the Rambam, you would know, uh, and, and you do know it. If you apply what you see from the Rambam to, uh, to this, you would see why, because Deot is a function of knowledge. You can't be a person of good midot without knowledge. And that's why the Ram says that the, the Rambam says that the derech ha'emtsait, the, the middle path, is, uh, is called the derech ha'chachamim. Why is it called derech ha'chachamim? Because midot are the ability to, uh, I think I mentioned, I think we've learned this before, but I can't remember. We, I'm sure we did it in the Marne Bochim class. So whoever was in that class probably learned it before, but I'm not sure if everyone heard it. But the, uh, what does it mean you should be, like the Rambam says, you should be exactly in the middle. You shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be more to one side of any particular quality or characteristic than the other. You shouldn't be too happy or too sad. You shouldn't be too generous or too stingy. You shouldn't be, right? So what does it mean to be in the middle? 50% of the time I should be rude and 50% of the time I should be nice. I mean, what, what, what does it mean in the middle? You can't quantify that, like Jordan said. I mean, what does it mean? But the answer is that being in the middle doesn't mean uh, quantitatively, being in the middle means in principle, which means to say that the person is responding to the to the external reality, not to an internal reality. If a person is is responding to an external reality, he'll respond, or she, he or she, will respond 
to the uh, to what is actually warranted by that circumstance, by the situation. They'll actually look at the situation and decide. Whereas if a person is uh, compelled by an internal an internal state, like they tend to be always a little bit more nice. Okay, then you're going to always be a little bit more nice to Agag, the king of uh, the king of Amalek. You know, you're, that's exactly what it says about Shaul. You know, he was a softy. So it says, you know, anybody who's Merachim, where it's not warranted, will end up being cruel where it's not warranted, which is why later on he does to Nov, you know, horrible things. So it's a, he's following an emotion inside. When, you're when, you're, when you are guided by what the Rambam means by and by the middle path is that the person isn't governed in his conduct by any preconceived reaction, that they always react a certain way uh, based upon some internal tendency. They actually are looking at the situation objectively. So that requires, number one, working on the self to rid oneself of the natural habits of reaction and being aware of those natural habits of reaction. And number two, having the knowledge. It's one thing to say, you need to only be angry in the proper situation. How are you going to know what the proper situation is? You need to only be happy when it's proper. How are you going to know when it's proper? That is a function of knowledge. You're going to have to learn that. That's not something that you can just know. And that's sort of like ties in with what Jordan was saying. I'm just saying it a little bit differently, but basically that ties in with what Jordan was saying, that when a person is, uh, when, that in order to be able to respond just so to every circumstance, it requires an enormous amount of knowledge to know what is the correct response in every circumstance. What is, the, what is appropriate to that circumstance? It, it requires two things. It requires overcoming our natural tendency to respond in accordance with emotion or habit or social pressure or whatever, but it also requires having the knowledge of what you should do. In other words, one is removing, like the Rambam talks about going to the opposite extreme in order to correct midot, right? That's the famous thing in the Rambam, go to the opposite extreme. That just uproots the bad midah from the person's character. That uproots the natural tendency by going against it, but that doesn't give you what you should do. How should I respond? What is the right response? It helps you break free of a, uh, a habit of responding without thought. That's the essential thing. So responding, so that's why Hilchot Deot is based upon Chokhmah, really. A person cannot be of good midot without Chokhmah because they need to be able to respond. It's not enough to not respond to the internal compulsion. One has to be able to respond to the objective reality appropriately. And that's why it's not something that you can have mitzvah vazara because if we if we simply, um, in other words, he's saying that uh, the way the Ralbag is saying it, it doesn't make sense to have mitzvah v'azara because people will then say, oh, with other mitzvot, you know, I can't I can't keep all the mitzvot. There's too many rules, and and I'm already violating a lot of them. In other words, it doesn't allow the person to evolve in their midot and as the Rambam would call their deot to be able to become a uh, a personality that is governed by chokhmah and everything that they do, it, it just creates a million rules. In other words, if, the, if there's a million rules that doesn't actually enable the person to become a person of chokhmah, because if the situation comes up that he doesn't know the rule, he's gonna be lost anyway. It's, it's just an infinite number of potential circumstances that you could encounter. So he's saying it doesn't make sense to take something that most people will always be in chet because you reduce it to a million different rules uh, instead of just allowing the people a certain guideline. In other words, it gives you an ideal. What the Torah does is it gives you an ideal. It gives you, the, uh, it gives you examples and role models to follow. And then in your own life, you gradually attain to that level of, uh, of behavior and character. Rabbi, yeah. so, so according to Al-Bag, basically like what this is, this Chilek Sheni is one of the reasons for the stories in Bereshit. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying. He's going to mm -hmm. say that basically you have a, one of the, that the stories of, of the Torah are going to always be teaching you either ideas about Hashem or Hashkacha, or they're going to be teaching you about Mitot, or sometimes they'll teach you, of course, about Mitzvot also. Sometimes about Mitzvot also. But um, like, for example, I remember that when he talks about Yosef getting shaved and properly dressed before he sees Paro, he says, oh, you learned something about halacha here, that when you go for tefillah to appear before a king, you have to, uh, 
you have to prepare yourself. You know, sometimes you can see a halachic concept even in one of the stories, you know, the base of halachic concept in one of the stories. But, um, but yeah, the idea is you learn certain principles from uh, about psychology or about a proper response to situations or improper response. And then you're able to slowly internalize that, but that takes a, a pro- that's a process and reducing it to rules and putting it just like other mitzvot where it's easy to reduce it to rules um, is, uh, is going to confuse the person with regard to other mitzvot. That's what he's saying. Then the person will say, well, I'm not keeping most of the mitzvot anyway, because I'm not only angry at the right time and only happy at the right time and all that. But that's not really something that you can legislate. That's something that has to emerge from the personalities development over time. It's not something that's supposed to be reduced to rules. And if it's reduced to rules, then it becomes confusing. Um, it, 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 I mean, I would add to what the Ralbag is saying. The Ralbag is saying it becomes confusing because the person will give up on other uh, mitzvot also, but it's also distorts what the real nature of the development of midot is because the development of midot is not the development of knowledge of more rules about how to live your life in a technical kind of way. It's the development of a different kind of approach to life based on values that you internalize that you can't reduce really to a set of rules or habits. It's more than the rules or habits. And then he says, It's what the Torah gives us of knowledge of the universe in general. That we wouldn't be able to reach with just our own analysis. Without great difficulty. We didn't have the prophetic stories leading us. In other words, for example, the guy, the idea of God's creation, the idea of God's hashkacha, the idea of Yud Kevavke that we saw in Sefer Shemot. All of these ideas are ideas that, yeah, sure, you could you could arrive at them if you're Avraham Avinu. You could arrive at them if you are uh, uh, Aristotle or something like that. Maybe, maybe he arrived at you know some of those ideas, but uh, one in a million, one in a many millions will. Uh, will arrive at the correct ideas. So therefore we have to guide us in our knowledge of God, prophetic uh, wisdom. Now, uh, there is some, I don't wanna to get too far afield. I mean, there is some uh, disagreement about between the Rambam and the Ralbag about whether Nivu'ah will teach you something that you can't prove afterwards. The, the Rambam says that there are certain unprovable things that prophecy just gives you as, uh, as a given. And in that way, he's more like almost like a mikubal, you know, whereas the Ralbag says, no, that would be bad because if you can't prove what you know, then you're lacking in your knowledge and that would be bad. And therefore, even the things the Torah reveals to us, if we had the, it, it would be hard for us to, to, to arrive at a definite knowledge of them. That's why it reveals it. But if we, uh, if we, now that we know it, if we're able to find a way to demonstrate it. So that, that's a dis- disagreement between the Rambam and the Ral about that. Anyway, what happened? So Rambam is basically a Mekubal. I don't think he would agree with that characterization, but I, he definitely thinks that Nivu'ah answers certain questions for which we would otherwise have no uh, definite answer. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, there are some cases where you could see that's true. For instance, uh, uh, without the without Yitzhak Mitzrayim, would we know that Yud Kevavke, that Hashem can actually, uh, uh, is the Bore Olam Yesh Me'ayin, uh, would be hard to know. I mean, until this, even now, even now, like uh, with the Big Bang, where most people seem to assume that there was a Yesh Me'ayin, there was, there's still the possibility that there was some very, very, very fundamental basic yesh that preceded the, the Big Bang. That wouldn't explain why there was a bang and why it developed into an entire organized universe, you know, but, but whether it's yesh me'ayin could still be debatable. So, uh, so that you need nevoah for that. The question mm-hmm. is, you know, the Rambam didn't seem to think you could prove creation yesh me'ayin. Even with the makot of Mitzrayim, which point to it, he, he didn't think that you could definitely definitively prove it. So you uh, so you need nifuah for certain ideas. The Rambam is saying. How do the how do the makot point to Yeshmeayin? Well, because um, 
Well, no, they don't necessarily point to Yeshmeayin. That's what I'm saying. In other words, they they show that God is independent of the creation and is therefore able to manipulate it at, in accordance. You know, he can violate the laws of nature. Doesn't necessarily show. In fact, the Ralbag doesn't really hold Yeshmeayin, which is weird. But uh, yeah, he he holds um, he holds it like the Platonic view that there was a, there was an eternal Yesh. The Rambam oh. doesn't like that. The Rambam holds there is absolutely nothing but Hashem. There's nothing eternal but God. But there, oh, there were some philosophers, they didn't like that idea, even some Jewish ones like Gerald Bagh, who says, uh, no, uh, it's true that there was a creation, of course, but there wasn't a, there was Tova Vo before. Tova Vo was the, was the uh, you know, the, the, uh, the particle or whatever that from which everything came, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's a little weird for us to think that way, but that's what the Ral Bagh thought. The Rambam definitely didn't think that, but that's where it comes from. In other words, the Rambam would say, I can't really prove my position. I'm just saying that Nivwa says there was nothing and then there was something. So we are saying that there's, it's, uh, you know, there's Yeshmeayin. That's the tradition. Whereas the, uh, whereas the, the uh, Ral Bagh says, uh, you know, you don't have to go with the, since, since it's, he thought it was more demonstrable that you could prove something like uh, creation, but with an underlying yesh, which is basically what most of the scientists today are, are angling towards. Um, they don't like the idea of yesh mayayin either. The problem is that their basis is that they don't like it, not based on any rationale either, you know, which is not, which is not scientific. Just say, I don't like this idea that there was a yesh that came out of ayin. It, uh, it doesn't sit well with me. Okay, well, too bad for you. You know, it's like, uh, that's not really a method, but that's the, uh, that's the way it goes. So how long, he lived like uh, in the 13th century, the Rambam, the Rambam lived in like uh, the early 12th century, almost 200 years, I think they were separated. Some people, yeah, I think he, I, he lived after the Ramban, the, the, uh, the Ralbag. So he, in any case. Can I ask a quick word question? Yeah. What, what's the word in like hikna, like liknot, made us, gave us, you know, like lehaknot. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, like oh. Yeah. All right. And then he says, He says, you notice that the Torah Shabbat Peh is divided into the same three parts. Except the stories are not prophetic there. But they're stories that were told by great people who are known for their great wisdom. In other words, he's saying that uh, all, that just like Tuasha Bichtav is going to be divided into uh, those things that are mitzvot, that relate to the basic program of mitzvot, where there's uh, do's and don'ts that guide us and... Uh, and then into midot and into philosophical ideas or ideas about creation. That's exactly what the Gemara is also made up of, right? Made up of the same thing. And then he says, and we'll do this one last part, then we should probably break because I probably have to go to Shacharit now. I don't know what you guys are doing, but let's see. And it's of necessity that the Torah be divided into these three parts. The fisha shlemut enoshi lo yagia bishlemut im lo beigia shlemut b'midot uvayun ala shalem shebapanim, because a person human perfection cannot be reached unless there is perfection in midot and in knowledge. Midot meaning the character, and in understanding at the highest level. Now, why midot? I mentioned, but now that only makes sense when you understand that midot are related to knowledge, which is what the Rambam really shows you. In other words, if you don't understand that midot are actually related to the application of knowledge to the self, um, if you don't recognize that midot are related to knowledge, so then the real reason why midot and knowledge are related is hard to see. In other words, the, the, the Chachamim are always saying, if you have bad midot, you can't have ultimate knowledge. That's only, that only makes sense if you understand how your, your perception of reality is colored by your own natural tendency, what you want to believe about the, about the out, outside world. And uh, to the extent that you clear away your uh, tendencies one way or another, you're able to have objective knowledge in your own realm in terms of the midot, then you're also able to have objective knowledge in the realms beyond. But you see that the very same scientists who are... Uh, who want to deny God and are and are trying to prove that God doesn't exist live generally speaking rather immoral 
personal lives. Like they're they're also distorted in their personal lives. And so they're uh, like I had mentioned that uh, book, Mind and Cosmos, which is such a funny book. I mentioned it a few times, I think in different places in Shiori. It's an amazing book because it basically talks about how the universe seems to be ordered towards bringing out mind and comprehension and intellect. Like the whole universe seems to be moving towards that. Like, and that, that, it's, that it's, you know, bringing about awareness and understanding and knowledge. And that's part of the design of the universe. But then the guy's like, yeah, but I don't believe in a creator. So there must be, so he's like, I'm not sure if it makes sense to say there's a purpose without a creator but I'm going to say that there is because I don't like the idea of there being a God. I'm not making it up. He actually says that. He consciously says, I don't like the idea. So I'm going to say that there's a purpose without a, without a designer, even though he's like, I'm not sure if that idea makes sense or not. But I, uh, but he's sort of in conflict because on one hand, he doesn't want to admit that there's a, that there is a design, that there's a creator, which would have implications for his life and how he lives it, even though he's a philosopher anyway, but I guess he would feel uh, burdened with that idea of there being a higher existence okay um and so what works out what's in what's incredible about a philosopher who believes what he believes is he basically believes that he embodies the very purpose of the entire cosmos because he is the only he is the highest mind in existence according to him but he doesn't say this part i'm saying this part i'm doing the psychoanalytic part okay he, in his design, in his vision, basically, he is the ultimate highest existence that there is. And he is the purpose of all of creation, because he's saying that the entire universe is ordered towards bringing out mind and intellect, but he doesn't think that there's an intellect behind it. So he just thinks that the universe is producing that self, you know, sort of autonomously. So basically, he thinks he is the highest existence that there is. He doesn't actually say that I'm saying that on his behalf. But you could see how that comes from a flawed character or could come from a flawed character, just like you could argue that about other philosophical positions people take. But I just want to finish this. So this part, what he calls political wisdom, or we would call midot or deot, where it doesn't make sense to have mitzvah and azara, meaning it doesn't make sense to make it a technical exercise. It goes along a path of perfection to that which the mitzvot and the uh, the mitzvot and the azarot, meaning the positive and negative commandments, give you mitikun haguf in terms of fixing the body, because they considered the emotional life also the body, right? So he's saying the mitzvot give you a certain tikkun uh, of the goof. Let's say kashrut gives you a discipline in, in, in the physical or sexual relations, kedusha, uh, the mitzvot of kedusha, they give you a certain discipline in that area. That's not the full perfection. There's more perfection to be had. So in the area of midot, it's holech malach hashlemut. That's where it, it's a process that, that builds upon, okay, the, the, the basic foundation that those mitzvot give you. And v'achelek makne chuchmat nimtzaot. And the mitzvot and azarot also give you certain tikkun hanefesh. They give you certain ideas about reality and the frame and the parts of the Torah that expand upon God's hashkacha or creation or whatever. These are building upon the tikkun nefesh that you got from those mitzvot. So, for instance, let's give an example of Shabbat. For example, Shabbat causes a person to reflect on God's creation of the universe, causes a person to reflect on their own status as a creature, and so on. That's one level, but then that can that that's built upon and developed, expanded when a person actually studies Maseh Borishit and Maseh Merkava. Let's say where they go into the agadot about God's hashkacha and how, the, how it works and so on. So he's saying that the mitzvot basically provide you with hachana. They're, they're preparing the individual, putting him in a training program, preparing him, doing certain things, not doing certain things, to point to, uh, you know, to, to be a, a basis, a foundation in terms of your emotional and physical balance and in terms of your intellectual understanding. They provide a basic foundation. But then the areas of the Torah that go into Midot or that go into Maseh Bereshit or study of Hashkachat Hashem, that's expanding upon and building upon what the mitzvot give you at that basic level. 
Okay, so you have the basic level, which is structured in halachot and mitzvot and asarot and so on. And then you have, and that gives you, of course, an inkling of what is in the broader subject. But the broader subjects are holech malacha shlemut. He says they go on a process of perfection. There's something where you don't wake up one morning and understand all of God's creation. It's um, you. Uh, it's something where you're going to be in a. It's going to be a process of development over many, many, many years. Uh, oh yeah, so he was uh, almost a century later, I guess, right? That's uh, that makes sense. So about a hundred years later, um, and uh, yeah, so this is a good place to stop because then it gets into a side point. But I think that the beauty of it is, and I just want to reiterate before we end, beauty of it is to me how he takes the broad picture of the universe. He basically says you have to understand the Torah is part of God's perfection of the universe, just like his hashgacha extends to the entire universe. It's first of all, he mentions the fact that it's of infinite depth because all of God, all of existence that God created is only fully understandable to Hashem. Then he moves to human beings and says, just like everything in the creation has hashkacha that brings it, brings it to its actualization, human beings need hashkacha and guidance, but it's going to have to be of a cognitive nature because we are conscious choosing beings. So it's going to have to be of a cognitive nature, not just of a compelled nature. And it's going to be broken into the three components, behavior, which is the framework for everything, the, the, the program of discipline of the Torah, which gives you a sense of the direction to go in your development and the direction to go in your intellectual development. So it gives you the three components that you need for perfection, which is a basic framework of life and then uh, ideals that you strive for or you evolve towards in your midot and in your knowledge. And then he's going to show us how, uh, you know, these things work out a little bit further, but we either one or two more times, I think we'll be able to finish the uh, hakdama. but I think it really will give us a, an approach in other things that we do as well to, uh, uh, to see how the ideas play out and apply. Okay. Any questions, any thoughts? Yeah, how about some bullet points, Rabbi? So, so there's Kichalakim, right? Yeah. The first Kichalak is like Mitzvot, the second Kichalak is I don't understand what the third Kichalak is. Some kind of combination of both? What, I couldn't hear you because you fade out and in. Sorry. Um, there's two, if you can get some bullet points, right? There's, yeah. there's three Kichalakim. The first right. Kichalak is, is Mitzvot, the second Kichalak is like a Kichalak and or behavior. Associated with Chofma. And the third chilek, I don't really understand. Is it some kind of combination of both? The first chilek is the mitzvot, basically, it's halacha, right? The second chilek is a midot. And the third chilek is understanding the more the ideas about Hashem, about Hashkacha, about creation, Maseh Markava, Maseh It's the more uh, profound understanding. In other words, midot, the way that I'm explaining it is that midot is really knowledge as it applies to our framework because it's really about how to respond to situations in our in our framework which is the foundation of everything really and becoming a person who is object attuned to the objective reality in our in our situations and then to learn about god's hashkacha and hashkacha pratit hashkacha klalit the creation malachim the most advanced you know there's more and more advanced levels of of we're going to uh, get learning. into his his idea of hashkacha in general in this what in the third chilek? No, I'm saying in, in this introduction to the Torah, he's going to talk about his ideas of Hashkacha as well because they're a little bit different than other other people's. Ideas. He doesn't go into that so that here so much. He goes into it in other uh, in other in in his perush of specific stories, but he doesn't go into that here. I think that the main beauty of the way he explains it is seeing the Torah as an extension of Hashem's. Wisdom, obviously, which we always think of, we always think of that, but it's an extension of God's providence, just like God's providence extends to all creatures. This is an extension of God's providence to actualize our ability, and therefore it's suited to human nature, because human nature is behavior and action, obviously, it, but human nature is, um, is the behavior and action that we engage in uh, habitually, or, you know, our routines, it is our development in terms of character and it's our development in terms of understanding of the ultimate truths. I mean, so therefore it's gonna guide us in these three areas and everything that we encounter in the Torah is gonna to fall into one of these categories or more. Um, it, it could be multi-determined obviously sometimes. And that's what he's gonna talk about next, how there are certain things that fit into more than one category.
and how that's not really a violation of that principle because they'll still be primarily in one category or another, just that they might contribute in some way to, for example, he's going to say like the Mishkan might symbolize certain ideas about Hashem, but the mitzvah of building the Mishkan is not the mitzvah to know those ideas. It's just a mitzvah to build the Mishkan. And then when you understand those ideas, it benefits you in your understanding of Hashem as well. So it's, it's interconnected, but the beauty of the way that he presents it is I like how he shows you it in such a broad perspective, what the Torah is doing, that it's a, it's, it's almost a part of the creation in that way. It's a, it's a, it's a way that the creation is, is achieving its objective. Okay. So let's, we'll, hopefully we'll pick up here next week and I think we'll be able to in one or two more times uh, get to the end of the, uh, of the Hakdama and then we'll move on to the next, uh, the next topic. Okay. Oh, you're the best. Right. Thank I'll you very much. You guys. Bye bye. You guys next week. Okay. Take care, Rabbi. Bye bye. Bye bye.